If you use personal care products, understand that you're being exposed to a long list of chemicals that can go into your skin, into your blood, and start affecting your health over time. So in this episode, you are going to learn what to look out for when it comes to personal care products. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to my personal favorite show, Heal Thyself. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Um, today's show is, is I, I've been excited to put this one out here because I had this conversation with Lexi Kite quite a while ago, and it stayed with me for so long. And, and here's the thing about it. We live in a world that highly, highly values the material highly values the physical. And we put it on a pedestal because essentially it's all that we experience and see, not knowing that there's depth and deeper parts to us. But Lexi and her sister are two researchers. And through their research, they were able to put together the reframing of how we as a society see beauty and body image. And the way that she communicates this reframing is so empowering because it makes you think about how you think about your body. And it makes you think how you can better have a relationship with your body. It's really powerful, the conversation you're about to listen to, and I'm really excited to get you into it. But before that, you'll remember last week, I promised you a run or tour of the bathroom because we went around, we went from room to room in the house. We went from the living room to the kitchen, and I gave you the best swaps, how to look for stuff, how to look for better quality stuff in each room. We went to the bedroom but we held out a little bit on the bathroom. Today, I'm gonna to give you my list of chemicals to avoid in your personal care products. Very important because a lot of men and a lot of women are using personal care products and a lot of you don't know what to look for. This is gonna be a very important show. I wanna update you on some important information. How do chemicals get into the market and ultimately into our bodies? Well, you would think there's a rigorous process of multiple levels of regulation, but surprisingly, there isn't. The Toxic Substances Control Act of 1976 provides the EPA with the authority to require reporting, record-keeping, testing requirements, and restrictions relating to chemical substances and or mixtures. Great, that sounds beautiful, right? But what's really happening? What's happening is that chemicals are rarely tested for safety before they reach the U.S. market. And the problem is it's not effectively protecting public health at all. It does not require the manufacturers to test or provide safety data about the products that they want to put out to the market and how it affects our health and ultimately the impact of these chemicals before they hit the environment. The inventory was initially published in 1979. And then there was a second version that contained about 62,000 chemical substances that was published in 1982. The Toxic Substances Control Act inventory continued to grow since then. And now it lists more than 86,000 chemicals. That's how many chemicals we have in our environment right now. Most of those not tested for safety. And according to the University of Michigan, health and safety data is available for less than 2% of the chemicals present in the environment now. In 2016, the Toxic Substance Control Act got a boost in effort to create more regulation and safety, but we'll see. Regardless, the large majority of chemicals in the environment are unregulated, which brings me to the products that you use in your bathroom. 
I mention all this for you to understand that oftentimes, aside from the air we breathe, skin and dermal absorption of these chemicals does happen. The EPA doesn't do an effective job of environmental toxin regulation, and we know this. Like I said, 2% of the 86,000 chemicals in the environment have been tested for safety. So we must bring more education on what we put on our skin. Now, revenue in the beauty and personal care market amounts to $92.79 billion in 2023. It's massive. On average, women use 12 personal care products per day, which on average is amounting to over 150 chemical exposures. And men use six, which amounts to about 85. Now, are all these chemicals toxic and going to kill you? No. And remember, when these products are tested, they're only tested for short-term exposure symptoms like skin irritation or allergies. But there can be a persistent and cumulative exposure that causes issues like respiratory issues, hormonal, reproductive, neurological, and metabolic disruptions, yes. And they're not tested for long-term safety, but we know that many of these individual chemicals like parabens or BPA or phthalates or formaldehyde or chemicals that release formaldehyde or PFAS, these chemicals can cause issues. We know they could potentially be in products in your bathroom. You don't need to flip over your whole cleaning and beauty regimen, especially if you're on a budget. But perhaps over time, you begin to remove some of the products and you find the ones that work well for you and fit in your budget. A little bit goes a really long way here. Now, the good news is that there's a lot of big chain stores out there that are banning the sale of products that are containing these chemicals like Target, Rite Aid, Walgreens, CVS, Whole Foods. But when it comes to personal care products, you wanna make sure you're reading the back label. Now, you're going to see a lot of chemicals in there. It's not gonna make sense, especially if you're getting just a conventional product. But I wanna teach you what chemicals do you need to look out for in personal care products. One for dioxane. This is a likely carcinogen. Acrylates. If you go back to the nail show, I talk about nails and allergies and irritation coming from acrylates. BHA and BHT. This is linked to be a human carcinogen known to cause hormonal and fertility disruption. There's also formaldehyde and formaldehyde-releasing preservatives known to cause irritation and a known carcinogen, usually in higher amounts. What I wanna talk about is fragrances. That one is pretty much across all of your personal care products, from shampoos to perfumes to face wash, all of the things. Now, fragrance can go up to 300 different types of chemicals. One of the big chemicals that we find in fragrances are phthalates. And phthalates are one of the nasty ones. These are connected to allergies, hormone disruption, asthma, asthma triggers, neurotoxin, and a known carcinogen. So when you look at these all together, it could be that a lot of the physical symptoms you're suffering with and not finding the root cause can simply be coming from your bathroom. And because phthalates are so common, we have to understand they have a wide range of physical manifestations like cancer, human reproductive and developmental toxicity, endocrine disruption, birth defects, respiratory problems, genital malformations, undescended testes in baby boys, and lower sperm counts in men. Let's look at the big picture and know how nasty this chemical is. One of our favorite brands, Ned, is here and they have an amazing new product. It's called Shaddai Chai. And it's been inspired by 5,000 years of ancient healing traditions, right? And it's Ned's biggest launch to date. It's a mellow super blend latte for sleep. And it combines adaptogens, aminos, functional mushrooms, magnesium, all the good stuff 
and it's wrapped in a heavenly masala chai and a spiced body, so it tastes good. It doesn't just set you up for an amazing sleep. It has ingredients like chaga, reishi, ashwagandha that are deeply nourishing to the body. And you're getting a ton of additional benefits as well. Now, Shaddai Chai will calm your nervous system. You'll feel it, right? You take a sip, make sure it's warm. It'll calm your nervous system and then send you peacefully into dreamland. We all want to be in dreamland. It's all natural and made exclusively from functional botanicals, fungi, herbs, plants, minerals, roots, and spices. Now, Ned is one of my favorite companies of all time. Why? They're super transparent. And that's the thing that's caught my eye with them from the beginning is that they were able to share third-party testing and they had it on their website. So you can see who farms their product, their extraction process, and really how they're excluding all of the chemicals from their products. Shadai Chai does not contain any CBD, caffeine, melatonin, or dairy. So for me, the way I use it is about two hours after I eat, when I'm winding down, it's sort of my intro into my night rituals. I drink it, turn off my phone, turn off all the electronics, sort of lights out. By lights out, I mean just turning on the Himalayan lamps and then my night starts. So when it comes to Shadai Chai, know that it can be one of your most amazing resources for better sleep. To get Shadai Chai, you're going to get 15% off with the code DRG. You go to helloned.com slash DRG, enter the code DRG at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash DRG to get 15% off in the sweetest of dreams. Are you struggling with consistently getting good sleep? I talk about sleep pretty much every single show because sleep is so important. Now, lack of sleep can impact your mood. You know that. Productivity, I know you know that. And just overall well-being. Calm, the app, can help. They have a large library of sleep stories and soothing soundscapes. You just press play, close your eyes, and drift away. Calm is the number one app for sleep and meditation that's available across the board, giving you the power to calm your mind and change your life. Calm recognizes that everyone faces unique challenges in their daily lives, that their mental health needs differ from person to person, and the time for meditation may vary from person to person. And since self-practices are so deeply personal, what Calm does is it strives to provide content that caters to your preferences and needs. Their meditation ranges from focusing on anxiety and stress, relaxation, to focus on building habits and taking care of your overall physical well-being. They have sleep stories, hundreds of titles to choose from, sleep meditations, calming music, whatever you need to drift off quickly. They even have expert-led talks on topics like overcoming stress, anxiety, grief, improving self-esteem, better relationships, everything you want under one click, right? You just download the app, open it up, and explore. See what works for you. If you go to calm.com, C-A-L-M.com slash DRG, you're going to get a very special offer, a 40, 40, 40, 40% off of a Calm premium subscription that has new content added every single week. You'll always stay entertained. You'll stress less, sleep more, and live better with Calm. For you, the Heal Thyself listener, Calm is offering, again, a 40% discount off the Calm premium subscription. Go to C-A-L-M.com.com slash DRG. That's C-A-L-M dot C-O-M slash D-R-G for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's com.com slash D-R-G. Something that we need to look out for but won't be in the back of these products are heavy metals. They're not going to say, this includes lead, this includes mercury, made with lead and mercury, arsenic, nickel, cadmium, whatever it is. So 
this is the part where we become proactive. If it's a product you love and you're going to be using it every single day and you're going to be putting it on your skin every single day, reach out to the company and ask them if they provide heavy metal testing and ask them to talk about their heavy metals and ask them if it's below Proposition 65, which is a really, really strict almost overly strict standard for heavy metals. But if the company's under Proposition 65, you know that it has really low heavy metals, at least under FDA levels. And that's not always persistent. Some products batch to batch go higher than FDA levels. So very important to pay attention to. Remember, poor regulation. Parabens is another one, often found in shampoos or anything that really suds. And this is a known endocrine disruptor, hormonal disruptor, and it mimics estrogen. So that's not a good thing. You don't want to be putting in your body chemicals that mimic estrogen because too much estrogen in the body can be carcinogenic over time. So you don't want those endocrine disruptors or xenoestrogens in the body disrupting your delicate hormonal balance and pushing more estrogen into the body, ultimately causing hormonal disruption, ultimately putting you at risk for different types of cancers like ovarian and breast. PFAS, polyfluoral alkyl substances. I spoke about this chemical in the water show, I spoke about this chemical when it came to cookware. PFAS are found in a lot of cosmetics that uh, make it water resistant or waterproof. So you wanna bring awareness about what are you putting in your body? Now PFAS, as we know, stay in the body for a long time. That's why they're called forever chemicals and are connected to various different types of disruptions in the body, like immune disruption. We also see in epidemiological studies, there've been associations with PFAS exposures with different health altering effects. In addition to immune disruption, issues with the thyroid, liver disease, lipid and insulin dysregulation, kidney disease, and adverse reproductive and developmental outcomes. And lastly, cancer. Styrene, which is often found in the plastic or plastic-like substances, you think the inside of coffee cups can also be found in cosmetics and personal care products. There's less known data in here. It's possibly carcinogenic and toxic to the nerves. There is also concern for reproductive and developmental disorders. Titanium dioxide we talked about in the show where I wanted to bust a myth of what was being talked about all over TikTok with tampons and titanium dioxide. Go back to that show. Um, you'll learn about what I say is titanium dioxide and tampons an issue? But to come back to this, there's oftentimes a lot of cosmetics that have titanium dioxide as an ingredient, and it may be carcinogenic to humans. Most significantly, we have to think about the European Union. A lot of the experts uh, were concerned with titanium dioxide particles having genotoxic effects. That means affecting your genes. Other chemicals, toluene can affect your respiratory tract. Triclosan, which interferes with the body's thyroid hormone metabolism and also maybe an overall hormone disruptor. Those are the big ones. And I want you to think about the product, where it's being housed. If it's in plastic, especially flimsy plastic, and that plastic is hot and, and you have it in the bottom of your shelf in the middle of the summer, you wanna think about quality and how they're packing. I always love uh, personal care product companies and makeup companies that utilize glass, 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 even though it's more money. Glass containers are protecting you from the exposure and the leaching of BPA and all of the BPA analogs that are seen in BPA-free, which we know is not always the same or as healthy and sometimes even worse. BPA, like parabens, can mimic estrogen, cause estrogen and hormone disruption in the body, and ultimately 
put you at risk for estrogen-driven cancers down the road. Now, I say all of this, not to overwhelm you, but for you to know what to look for and be empowered. Read the back of your products, read the back of your labels. Um, Know that nothing will be perfect. It will be far from perfect, but making small changes over time is going to make a big overall impact on your health. Remember, this isn't just a one-time use and you're sick. It is an overtime, long-time exposure. Some of these chemicals bioaccumulate, meaning build up in the tissues, build up in the system, and some of them are water-soluble and you pee right out. But bring awareness to what's in your products and start making the moves. Now, last thing I would say, although far from perfect, I do like the Environmental Working Group. They have um, really good reviews on how to look for products and you can type in the product that you're using. And more often than not, you'll have a report on it and get a better idea. If it's letter grade safe, I think they use numerical actually, one to five or A to F, I forgot. Um, But you'll be able to see which one is moderate to safe and you wanna make sure you're using products that are moderate to safe. And also they have a list of products that are really good quality. So go check that out if you haven't. And I really hope this helped you out, brought more information to what's in your bathroom, personal care products and makeup. All right, everyone, you know that on Heal Thyself, we talk so much about connecting to the body, right? We talk about what it means to feel your body, what it means to feel emotionally, what it means to get into your body. This is something I'm a huge proponent of. But the real relationship with you, you have with your body is so important. How you embody your image with your body, how you walk around and spread that radiance of you being one with your body. Well, that takes a certain level of body confidence. And guess what? Guess what? I got the expert on my show. <laughs> I was about to go. I was about to go so in. I got the expert on my show, Lexi Kite, Dr. Lexi Kite. And she has a book with her sister, More Than a Body, that is out. And we're going to talk all about body confidence. And this is an essential show because whether or not you realize it, so many of us are struggling with confidence with our body, self-image issues. But right now, from the get-go, Welcome to our show. We got a lot to talk about, and thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Lexi, can I call you Dr. Lexi? Call me Dr. Lexi once, and then call me Lexi. Okay, okay. Okay, <laughs> right from the right from the get-go, Dr. Lexi. Is this whole body positivity movement, is it harmful, is it beneficial, or is it somewhere in between? It's somewhere in between. I'm going to say that body positivity is amazing for expanding our definitions of who gets to see themselves as beautiful, as desirable, as attractive. Um, The problem that my sister and I found in our PhD research and all of our body image activism is that regardless of how the definition of beauty expands, if it's still focusing and reinforcing beauty as our highest form of, of value, of power, of desirability, we've got a problem. We're reinforcing beauty. And so a more effective approach to healing our body image issues in all the work Lindsay and I do through More Than a Body is to help people realize that focusing on the appearance of our bodies is the problem, not the solution. The solution is in our definition of positive body image, which floats around the internet a lot. Our definition is positive body image isn't believing your body looks good. It's knowing your body is good, regardless of how it looks. We're trying to help people get back inside their bodies in a first-person perspective of themselves, the same kind of work you do, instead of living outside of their bodies, 
only being able to experience and appreciate themselves as ornamental instead of instrumental. And is this the crux of what's happening right now, that our definitions of I am good enough is an ornamental definition and we don't look inward and and that is sort of what's causing that discomfort and we're never reaching that truly I'm comfortable with my body situation? Yeah, I mean, especially um, when we're talking about this in a gendered way with anybody who um, who identifies as female, what we see is that there are so many people companies, individuals, experts who can see that girls and women have a body image problem, have a self-esteem problem. They do not feel good about themselves. They feel too fat, too ugly, unattractive. And so the interventions and the solutions, they come up and we hear them all the time. It's all the campaigns revolving around, you are so beautiful just the way you are. If you had any idea how beautiful other people saw you, you'd have the confidence to go change the world. They say, you know, all bodies are bikini bodies. It's your flaws that make you beautiful. And this is super gendered. Like we know men and boys have body confidence issues too. We know they have self-esteem issues, but nobody is trying to solve their problems by saying, you are so cute. You are so handsome just the way you are. Like everybody is a Speedo body. Get out there and rock your Speedo and show your confidence. No, we laugh at that because boys and men have not grown up believing that their highest form of value is in how they look. And so we... Lindsay and I have found, and we we have critiqued this for a while, and thankfully it's resonated with a lot of people, that the solution to body image issues cannot be to slap a Band-Aid on a much deeper problem than feeling beautiful. The problem isn't that girls and women don't feel beautiful enough. The real problem is we feel so defined by our bodies that we are confined by them. We see ourselves mm-hmm. as only bodies, only beautiful, instead of more than a body. We are so much mm-hmm. more. And, and, and it's really uh, clear when you highlight it this way in, in men and us not fully identifying with our bodies, although holding it in high regard, you know, yeah. dudes dudes go to the gym and they want to look good and it's part of the whole thing, right? But, but it's not something that we hold as our identity worth value. Yeah. And so- there's other things, right? Like status and, and money, money and, and make power. it a success, right? Power. So we got our own things that we're working on yeah. here or or identifying falsely with. Yeah. But it, how long has this, in, in your research, how long has this been something that has been brewing with women struggling with value for so long is is this has this been since the beginning of time or or when when you know the media started blowing up or yeah. when, when we started industrializing things how long has this been around good question i mean it's not a forever thing i don't think it's completely innate and natural that the vast majority of girls and women hate their bodies that is not the case and in some societies where western media hasn't totally infiltrated their culture it's still not the case different sizes and ethnicities are valued in cultures where Western media isn't the number one, you know, exporter and importer of all media. But with the onset of media, you know, especially like in the last hundred years or so of mass media, yeah, we see that these ideals drive billions of dollars in profit every year. And one thing that we like to tell people we write quite a bit about in the book is that You should start asking questions about the way the sexist ways that women and girls' minds are manipulated versus men's, especially when it comes to media advertising. When you start asking questions like, why is it that my husband has never thought twice about his eyelashes? Like he never leaves the house thinking, oh, 
I got to put something on them. I got to darken them, thicken them, lengthen them, whatever. But for so many, the vast majority of women, we think about our lashes every single day. And we don't feel like ourselves without doing something to them. The same with like the anti-aging industry. You think about the fact that the anti-aging industry has realized that women are their primary target because women don't make the money in every household. In the average U.S. household, women do not make the most money, but they are in control of spending up to 90% of the dollars in every household. And so if you think about these sexist ideals that women and girls are burdened with from a young age, you can see why our objectifying culture preys on them because there is so much money at stake here. Yeah, for sure. This is this is like early investment by these companies to make sure that by the time you're 20-something or even 15 years yeah. old, you're insecure enough in your own self that you're going to spend all the money or ask your mom to spend the money for you or dad to spend the money for you. And then when you're making your own money, it's just part of the routine, right? Yeah. I never thought about my eyelashes once in my life. It's you just brought, <laughs> and, and, and it's true. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's sexist. But you know, you watch the commercials, right? I remember in the 90s, the commercials for men, they were like shaving cream commercials. And there's just this like rugged man coming out of like a, a Porsche, right? And he's like really cool and like, oh, wow, the, the woman is just like kind of fainting and be like wow that's a real man right yeah. this is what we're we're fed something completely different still in in many ways it's there's a there's a, a there's inherent insecurity yes. that has just built us in, in us so or how early does this happen how early are girls being exposed to this and and in what form are you are we even seeing them in cartoons or, or early cartoon media for, for for children yes oh my gosh so a lot of people a lot of parents think the animated kids movies, they're safe. You know, if they're, they're feminist, they're worried about social issues, but they think like the one thing that I can rely on is, you know, Pixar, Disney, DreamWorks, whatever, they are going to be a safe space for, for kids. And the truth is that research shows otherwise and real life experience shows otherwise. I have a three-year-old and a seven-year-old girl, girls. Um, and they've kind of been guinea pigs in all of this research because I was doing this long before they came along. And one of the things we found um, and that research has replicated is that of the top 500 animated kids movies, um, we see that male characters are overrepresented. There are twice as many male characters as female characters, twice as many male speaking parts. They speak twice as often as female characters. And the female characters are three times as likely to be sexualized. And you can see that just in the representation. When you see a female character on the screen, I'm talking Baby Shark, I'm talking Frozen, I'm talking most animated kids shows. What you see is the default is male, Male characters are the ones that drive the plot forward, and they get to be represented lots of different ways. They get to be big, small, black, white, different animals. But the female characters, they are always sexualized. Even if it's a penguin, right. she's got a waistline and she's got boobs, you know? It, the female... It, We've been taught from a young age that femininity is work. It's something you put on. So baby shark, the male sharks, the grandpa, the dad, the the default shark, they're male and they're just sharks. And then the female sharks have lashes, makeup, pearls, a bow, all the things they have to put on. And so from the time girls are very, very young, we're talking babies. We are decorating the girls. We're piercing their ears. They're wearing the tights. They're wearing things that are uncomfortable to climb in because it's decorative. Like femininity is decorative, we teach them. And it's kind of painful. It's uncomfortable. And so when they learn that and when they're seeing everything that backs up this femininity is work and it looks like this, 
You know, it, it is always sexualized. Then, of course, from an extremely young age, we see prepubescent girls that are already doing this thing called self-objectification, which is the idea that when you grow up and grow older in a world that objectifies females, meaning it largely only shows girls represented positively in one way, tall, thin, white, curves in all the right places, you know, um, that we learn to do that to ourselves. And so self-objectification, it is not um, presenting yourself in an objectifying way. It's not, you know, dressing sexy or whatever. Self-objectification is internalizing the objectified perspective that you have grown up believing about yourself. Your identity is split. You become the subject and the object. You become somebody living her life and somebody watching her live her life. Even when you're alone, you're thinking about how you look and adjusting accordingly got this mental task list that goes on in your minds. And I think most girls and women listening to this podcast can can absolutely recognize that self-objectification, that living to be looked at and feeling self-conscious of how you look Mm -hmm. is absolutely a normal and everyday part of every one of our lives. Mm, And it's been integrated early on, as you said. I mean, I think of even the cartoons that I used to see, every, every like animal or even inanimate object that was a female even like beauty and the beast they had lips and they had lashes and they were like you very clearly know that this is a a female candle holder you know and 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 when we think about these things you're right it's like early on there's the there's the dress up the the brightening up right because normal without the dressing up and the fixins and the brightening up is not good enough right so what what a signal we send at an early early age to our, our kids right and then they have the toys and they're dressing them up it's not good enough how it was so we have to add in this dress and this clo- so let's let's move it forward now into teens it yeah. seems to me that teens might be young adolescents or, or older adolescents teens are some of the hardest times in this in this what what is a young teen experiencing in her own uh like you said subject uh, object seeing herself be part of this sort of machine what happens to a teen in their physiology so teens today we already know that they are they feel like everybody is looking at them you know you remember i remember Mm -hmm. just feeling so self-conscious that i was being looked at well uh, self-objectification exacerbates that more than you can even imagine. So most girls um, at a very young age, we're talking around seven, eight, nine, they begin self-objectifying, viewing themselves from an outsider's perspective and specifically their worst enemy's perspective. Like in our all of our research, at the beginning of our book, um, the baseline question we ask everybody is how do you feel about your body? And the vast majority of answers we give to that question with no context for what we're asking about, the vast majority of answers to that question that come from anybody who identifies as female are extremely negative and talking almost exclusively about how they look to other people. They're talking about how they look. They are talking about self-objectification and they don't even know it. So they're not saying anything about how they feel what they can do, what they've experienced, what they've lived through, what they're proud of. It's only their worst thoughts about what somebody Mm. else might see. And so teenage girls are going through that. And then it is absolutely doubled by social media because social media takes all of those values they have learned to believe about themselves and magnifies them to such a degree that self-objectification is constantly in front of them because they have learned to take photos and videos of themselves then choose the highlights, 
edit accordingly, and post the most unrealistic or unattainable versions of themselves. They're just representing what they've been taught they can be valued for. And so social media, it's like very natural for them. They live being looked at. So why wouldn't you represent yourself accordingly? And then the algorithm is designed to push all of that sexually objectifying, unreal, unattainable content at them. Like the algorithms on TikTok and Instagram are designed to do that for girls. It keeps them in this shame loop. You're scrolling. You feel bad about yourself. You're going, you know, years deep in your boyfriend's new girlfriend, you know, comparing yourself. (laughs) Can you imagine what they're up against? Oh. Yeah, yeah. And then we think about also even just like the developmental age, right? They're developing and they're being objectified now now by by boys, right? So it's like imagine the weight of a teenage girl, right? And I in my generation, we didn't have the social media, so I didn't even see that firsthand. But you know, bringing a kid into this world in the future, it's like, whoa, what is the world gonna be? And and to think that like this is our society where we're rewarding these unrealistic, unattainable versions of us over and over and over and over and and this is what we're being fed into. So mental health is it can be an issue already early on and 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 now i understand even better why so many teens are struggling with their mental health absolutely Um, you know i love magnesium breakthrough it is one of the top three four products that i use every single day it's been a life changer it's better for my body for my muscles for my energy for my bowel movements the magnesium is fantastic Most of us are deficient in magnesium. We could say up to 75% of us. Now, if you never tried Magnesium Breakthrough, it's amazing, but here's your chance. For only this month, you get a free bottle of the best-selling full-spectrum supplement that contains all seven forms of magnesium that your body craves in the right balance. For you, the Heal Thyself listener, they are offering a free 14-day supply of magnesium. All you gotta do is pay the nominal shipping fee. That's it, no other strings attached. No other purchases required. And this is the Magnesium Breakthrough Challenge. It's simple. For 14 days, you take Magnesium Breakthrough and see all the positive changes that I mentioned. Now, if you want, write a little journal and see how you're sleeping. Quantify it out of 10. You're probably going to notice your sleep is better and your energy is better during the day after 14 days and you got nothing to lose other than that shipping cost, right? And if you like it, there you got a supplement that works well for you. It's one of the ones that I use every single day. I use two before bed. I use one in the morning. And you can go get your free bottle. Go to magbreakthrough.com slash DRG free and enter the coupon code DRG10. That's it. And the company is so confident that this product will help you with your sleep, with your muscles, with your bowel movements, just overall, that they're letting me give away all of these bottles. So again, to get your free 14-day supply right now and start the challenge, go to magbreakthrough.com slash DRG free and use the code DRG10. Don't miss this opportunity. It's only for a limited time this month only. Birch is an OG sponsor. Why? Because I love them. Why? Because they make beds that are natural, that are clean. Why? Because sleeping is important and you want to sleep on a quality mattress. Now, Birch, to date, of all the time they've been sponsoring the show, 
has one of its biggest offers for you. When it comes to me for choosing a bed, I chose Birch because it has organic and natural materials. I sleep easy knowing I'm avoiding harmful off-gassing that can happen through the manufacturing process. Birch is also Green Guard Gold certified. That is the standard to make sure you're not being exposed to harsh off-gassed chemicals for the life of the bed. In addition to being a better mattress for me, Birch is committed to being better for the planet. I can reduce my environmental impact by having the mattress that is produced from raw materials. Birch works with ethical partners to adhere to strict social, environmental, and economic standards. I've had my Birch for two years. I love it. What I love most, I'd say probably, is how comfortable it is and knowing that it's not off-gassing chemicals for the life of the bed. And it's cooling. I'm not sweating. I'm not waking up sweaty in the bed. The materials are just cooling and allowing for the flow of heat to move. Now, with your Birch mattress, you get a 100-night sleep trial and a 25-year warranty. The best thing about all of this is that Birch just delivers right to your door. You ain't got to go nowhere. It's right to your door and easy to set up. It's rolled up in a box, easy to set up. I love my Birch mattress. I do think you will too. This month, Birch is giving Heal Thyself viewers 22% off of their Birch mattress. That's the highest discount they've given on this show to date, and it expires at the end of this month, August. Visit birchliving.com slash heal thyself and get 22% off of the Birch mattress plus two free eco rest pillows. Okay, so now we become adults and we're making money and, and, and you know, now we have the money to do all the things that, you know, mom didn't yeah. get for us or dad didn't get for us. It, as we become adults, is this when we start moving into maybe uh, surgeries, alterations, going all out with everything? Is, is this what you start seeing in your research? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, once you have a little bit more power, a little bit more money and the privilege that comes along with that. Yeah, we see that, you know, even in times of um, economic turmoil, that the beauty industry and the diet industry is recession proof. So no matter what, girls and women and a lot of boys and men learn that you better prioritize how you look at all costs because we've been sold this, this lie, which um, there is some nuance to this, but the lie, especially for girls and women, is that you have to constantly be treating your body like a project from the roots in your hair to the size of your pores, the thickness of your eyebrows, all the way down to the bottoms of your scratchy feet, that every inch of you is a project. And that as you are spending the money, the time, the energy to fix your body, that's how you will gain health, happiness, love, success. But only then. Otherwise, you are a failure, you know? And industries are constantly conceiving of new flaws. You got to beautify your underarms now. Like that, we, <laughs> we were not thinking about our armpits. We were not thinking about baggy eyelids. And now that's a thing like you have to fix, you know, the the list goes on. And yeah, the yeah. Changing. And it's, it's forever. It's forever. And so like you see things like the Kardashians and others that are now taking out their implants because the ideals are constantly changing. Like for a while there, people were saying, but the thick ideal, you know, now that's kind of in. Like now you get to have a bigger butt. You can have bigger thighs. But the problem is, and what we always argued, is that is not progress. That is more work. Because now you die from your butt implants, in addition right. to your breast implants and all the illness that goes along with implants. And mm -hmm. you also must have all the signifiers of thinness. You have to have a tiny waist, no cellulite. No right, stretch marks, right. all the things that are impossible. And so can you imagine how much time and effort and energy that takes? It is massive. But one thing we help people to recognize is that we've all been taught this lie that you can buy your happiness through fixing your body. 
But we all learn over time that we're chasing mirages, that, you know, the times when I was my thinnest and was getting the most compliments, honestly, those were the times where I was treating myself the worst. I was not eating. I didn't have the energy to exercise or I was over-exercising, using caffeine and feeling terrible. My health, my actual internal indicators of health were not reflective of the compliments I was getting. You know, I was treating myself so bad by valuing how I was, how people were viewing me over my own experience inside my body. And so one thing we recommend for people, because the work Lindsay and I do is different than the other work we see out there, because we're not just here to make you mad. We're not here to just open your eyes about all the ways we have been oppressed and hurt in this objectifying world, but we're here to show you another way that you can name your pain. You can shine a light on it, you can see it, you can shine a light on the oppressive forces that make you feel this way, this is not a natural way of being. And you can realize that we can opt out. We can push back. We can use that pain as a catalyst to get somewhere better, to get back inside our bodies and prioritize mm. that first person perspective on the only bodies we're ever going to have. And that is the most healing thing in the world. But it's called body image resilience. And it is the revolution that Lindsay and I are trying to push forward in all of our work. And I love the passion behind it, right? Because you will always be, always have a pore that is big. You'll always have a toe that is small yeah. and another one big. Yes. You're always going to have a stretch mark. It, it's a never-ending cycle of just self-identification that is not real. Yeah. And it's just going to keep flowing and flowing and flowing. But I love your passion against shining that light, right? Shine the light to yourself. Shine the light and know, hey, wait a minute. I've been oppressed by this. People telling me this crazy stuff, man. Why do I have to do that? Actually, why do I have to do this too? You know, and let me look at my bathroom cabinet. Why do I have all this, right? So what is that resilience, that internal resilience? What does it mean? And how do we, women and also yes. the men listening to this who are vibing with this too, how do we connect with this resilience? Yes. Okay. So body image resilience is for everybody. And, you know, when I'm talking about the burden of body image falling on the shoulders of girls and women, I am absolutely not stating that boys and men and people of all genders don't feel serious body image burdens because they do. So please know, but I use a lot of she, her pronouns because the majority of people that face serious body image issues and sexual objectification identify as female, but body image resilience is for everybody. So in our work, when Lindsay and I were starting to identify that the interventions that people were, um, you know, coming up with to help people's body image issues was slapping a bandaid on the problem. It wasn't solving the problem. Nobody is feeling better about themselves. In many ways, we're feeling worse. We are, the problem is that we are still fixating on our bodies as our source of value and power. We will never get to a better place if we are stuck in this cycle of self-objectification, of hiding and fixing, valuing our bodies at the expense of who we are as more than bodies. So body image resilience gives us this opportunity to identify the source of the pain and the shame that we have come to believe is just a normal part of living in these bodies. That like, this is the rent you pay. If I'm gonna be loved, then if I'm going to be successful, respected, healthy, then at all costs, my body is my project and I, I better keep up with it. Instead of that, we ask people to sit back for a minute to realize that we all face incredible amounts of shame and pain living in an objectifying world. And that that shame and pain, the experiences you have that disrupt your relationship with your body and cause you to, uh, 
to have to cope in some way through harmful coping mechanisms like starving and overexercising, um, cutting, self-harm, which is just massive, especially for young girls, that instead of using those coping mechanisms that we've always gone back to that are not serving us, instead we choose another path. As the pain rises up, you see the photo of yourself tagged on Instagram and it disgusts you. Somebody <laughs> makes a comment about your weight. You are abused, right. assaulted, whatever the thing is, whatever that disruption is, big and small. You take it as an opportunity, as a spark to realize that you can make a new choice. You can make resilient choices that serve you instead of harm you. You can take the opportunity to breathe, relax your stomach. You've been taught to suck in your whole life. Mm -hmm. Get back inside your body instead of the anxiety cloud you live in, picturing how you look instead of living. Pay attention to how your feet feel on the ground, how you feel in your seat or standing. Get back inside your body and realize that there's a new choice you can make and there are specific strategies you can take to not only curate your environment to be more body image resilient and serve you, both in the media you view and the people you surround yourself with and how you talk to yourself and others, um, but through a lot of other strategies we can talk about to use your body as an instrument instead of an ornament, our big mantra, um, to help advocate for yourself and others to get to a happier place, to get back inside every time that shame and pain rise up within you. Mm, you know, you said something that really resonated with me and it's, uh, you know, I do this emotional healing work, emotional release work, and it's, it's about mobilizing repressed emotions. Yes. And you have to get in your body. You can't do it if you're not in your body, you know, uh, where we hold this shame, a, a lifetime's worth of shame when we're talking about, I'm not good enough, I'm not pretty enough, my hair is not long enough, my skin's not clear enough. Yeah. That's all remembered in the body. So essentially what, what I say and you say is the same thing. What you're talking about getting in the body, feeling your feet, feeling your body and, yeah. oh, I actually feel a lot of shame. Am I good enough? Because when you come into the body, you're witnessing and meeting that, pain that has been there for so long yes. so so once you feel that and get to get to reconnect and re-witness yourself you're saying that empowers us to change externally our environment now yeah. okay wait why am i friends with that person who just keeps talking all this shit and saying yeah. she's not good enough and i'm not good enough and why do i keep consuming these pages that i found why do i even order this magazine to my house yes. like all of these things just start knocking down because You've come back to yourself. What a beautiful strategy. I mean, that would be the way that I would do it if I was in your work. Like, this is how you do it. Totally. Yeah. Our mantra, it's the subtitle of our book. Your body is an instrument, not an ornament. This is honestly a paradigm shift. Nobody's bodies are perfect instruments. So when we say that, sometimes people think, yeah, but I'm dealing with chronic illness. Like I, whatever the thing is, like I'm injured. I'm sitting on the sideline of my life right now. My body is not an instrument. My instrument is terrible. No, what we're saying here is the paradigm shift is the same one that you tout, that our bodies are instrumental because they are ours. It's the only one you have. Your lungs, your heart beating, these legs that you were born into, every part of you, it's the only one you've got. And we have learned to value other people's experience looking at us over our own experience living inside our bodies. And so yes. to see yourself as instrumental means that from here on out, everything you do, you prioritize how you feel first, not how other people see you. Our research shows that due to self-objectification, so many people of both genders 
really sit on the sidelines of their lives, not just by like hiding themselves in their clothing, but literally opting out of opportunities, events, experiences, because they don't want to be seen. Because we've been taught that we don't qualify to be seen as we are. And so we don't raise our hands in class. We don't go up for those volunteer leadership opportunities. We don't work out because we don't have the right outfit. And so we sit on the sidelines. But the truth is, the only way to build your body image resilience, to flex that muscle, is that the second that we call it a disruption, a body image disruption rises up, whether it's big or small, when that shame rises up in you, you feel yourself split from yourself, watch yourself living instead of just living. When you come back into yourself and you take the opportunity to say, this is no way to live, that is the way that you can make a new choice. And believing that your body is an instrument instead of an ornament means that the next time that shame rises up and you think, I'm not going to go to that meeting, like my skin is too bad to go to that meeting, or I'm not going on that date, I'm not getting on the apps tonight because he's just going to you know, be so disgusted with me. Instead, the only way to push through and build your body image resilience is to do the thing anyway prioritizing your experience. Do the workout. Get into that flow state that you cannot get into when you're self-objectifying. Whether you're creating art, writing, singing, working out. Girls and women can't get into a flow state when they're thinking about how they look. And Mm -hmm. so prioritizing yourself, it gives you new joy, new opportunities, new chemicals coursing through your body because you're doing the thing anyway. Right, right. And it's not not alien to us. I mean, this is something that we can do because it's inherently us. We did it as kids. We were yeah. prioritizing ourselves. You want to know how I know? Because you were throwing tantrums in the middle of the mall. That's you prioritizing yourself and not the people around yes, you. So that's right. <laughs> right. And you have two girls. So I'm sure you've seen it once or twice in your lifetime yes. already. But like, but how important it is to, and I know that feeling. I know the feeling of like, okay, I don't want to do this because outside looking in, that won't feel good. I might be in front of, I remember not wanting to raise my hand in class all the time because I don't want people looking at me. And you know, it's like these things, it, that discomfort of being like, actually, I'm going to prioritize myself because I know the answer to this and I want and I want to share it and I want to I have a discussion about it or, or I want to look good in this clothes or I want to wear this. I want to wear this, you know, like yes. that's not how I look. I want to wear this. So that what an empowering moment to come back to your authentic self. This is about true authenticity. It's it's you first. Yes. It's you first. But I, I know that feeling and, and I, I can't imagine how women even feel it more. I remember me as a teenage boy, I thought everyone was looking at me and it was like, oh, I wanted to be under a rock all my life, you know? Like it was so, but but the, but the paradigm and, and, and the standards now f- for women is like, not only are people looking at you, you also have to show up every single time and make sure you look good when people are looking at you. Yes. That's suffocating. It's oh, suffocating. I know. Oh my gosh. And honestly, like thinking about the health aspect of all of this, for too many of us, people of all genders, when you are prioritizing an ornamental view of your body over an instrumental view, your health suffers. So we have all been taught to objectify our health, to be able to define our health from the outside by how we look, by the size we're wearing, by our body mass index, which is just a completely flawed measure. It's for population studies, um, not for individuals, and it's based on a white 25-year-old male's um, measurements. So it doesn't take into account aging, ethnicity, gender, all of these things. And yet we've all been taught that in order to set like a health or a fitness goal, 
you set an objectified goal, how much you weigh or how you look. And so especially for women, research shows that when we set these aesthetic or objectified goals for how I want to look or how much I want to weigh, we never, ever will hit that goal. Because if we, if we get to the point where we weigh what we thought we would, we look down and say, this isn't how I thought I'd look. Like, I got to keep going. If it's um, that you want to get to six-pack abs or whatever the thing might be, the problem is that maybe you will get there for a moment, but it is unsustainable. The better way to prioritize your health through that instrumental view of your body is to start is to start setting goals that have nothing to do with an objectified measure of health and everything to do with what you can do, how you feel, and your internal indicators of health. So if you really want to know how you're doing health-wise, you go to your doctor and you get a blood panel done. You check cholesterol. You check your resting heart rate, your blood sugar, like blood pressure, these things that actually tell you about your health. And then you set goals according to what you want to be able to do. So instead of getting to this weight, it's, I, I, I want to be able to run 10 miles. I want to go on this many um, walks or take this many dance classes. I want to, I want to be able to lift this heavy of weights. Make it experiential. And then you get those endorphins running through your body from doing the thing, even though you're too self-conscious and you don't know what to wear, whatever it might be, you don't want to be jiggling, do it anyway. Make yourself do it anyway. And as you flex that body image resilience muscle, it becomes innate. It becomes instinctual. So for me now, like I'm still living in a female body. I still have to navigate this world through childbirth, weight gain, weight loss, aging, you know, the works. So I'm, I'm using body image resilience in my life every day. And so when I try on a pair of jeans that doesn't fit, that I thought was going to fit a couple days ago, instead of falling into a shame spiral of, okay, no more eating. I'm getting back on that treadmill. I got to do a harder incline, whatever the thing might be. Punishing ourselves, which we do because our bodies are, we need to be punishing ourselves at all times. Instead, I sat with it for a minute, got back inside my body, like literally do some lunges, do something to like get back inside my body as an instrument. And I made a new plan. No. I'm not going to punish myself. These jeans don't fit because women's jean sizing is outrageous. You're a four <laughs> here and you're a 20 there. And there is it's just wild. Men get standard sizing. Another way that this sexist, really objectifying right. industry gets us is through sizing. And so what I want people to do is face those disruptions that are inevitable, but know that the body image resilience process is banking on the fact that we're all going to face those disruptions daily, weekly, monthly. And that instead of coping in the ways that do not serve us, that take us out of the world, that leave the world missing what we have to offer and leave us missing out on the world, that we take those opportunities that feel like shame and we use them as a step forward, as a step back home to reunite with our little selves, like those little us we left behind, that little Lexi that used to not care about her thighs and could just right. play on the beach. We have mm -hmm. to get back in touch with our inner selves. It's one of the strategies we share in our book. There's a million, but the, Yeah, I love that. And I, listen, I'm, I, I'm going to read the book myself. I ain't a woman, but I'm going to read this book because it's going to be really powerful. I mean, it's for me, what I'm hearing is, yes, there's more pressure on women, uh, but this goes for every single person, Ooh, yeah. right? Every 
It's it's all about coming back to the body. And one thing that you said that stuck out was this flow state that you said before. Essentially, when, when a woman is so concerned with the outside world and how she's being watched and observed and judged and having to live up to this standard, we're taking ourselves out of that flow state, but we're, we're essentially taking ourselves out of that pure artistry that, that gifts, the gifts that you have to offer this world, right? To, to, to change your, your, your family, your community for the better, the world for the better, are being surprised because you're looking outside of you in judgment and, and fear instead of living in that love that you are. And yeah. it's like just coming back to it, checking with the body. I love that you just said lunges. Like you're like, okay, hold on. Let me just get my body up, do a little bit of lunges. Yes. Okay, no, this is ridiculous. I ain't a size this. <laughs> I just went to this one. Okay, let's stop, slow it down. And to me, one of the tenets of guests on the show is empowering information. And this is some of the most empowering information I've had in a very long time. I feel your passion coming through the wires, out of the camera, up into here, right into my ears. I feel it. And, I, and, I, and I'm loving it. I'm really loving it. So, um, well, what are, what are some plans in the future? Do you, are you going to be doing some, some, some talks, some, some retreats, some, what are, what are we doing and, and how, in the book and what we got, we need all the information here. Yes. Okay. So we published our book with Harper Collins two years ago. It's been super successful. We've had amazing endorsements from celebrities and experts alike. It's been amazing. So our book we see as the culmination of all of our work. We've been on social media forever on Instagram, a beauty underscore redefined Facebook, Twitter, all of it. But we've kind of taken a step back from social media for our own health and well-being, as you can imagine. It's hard um, and it's really time consuming. And so what we've done is we have put just a ton of free information on Instagram, social media, and our website, morethanabody.org. Um, we also do speaking events. That's what Lindsay and I do. We were at University of Minnesota this week. We did the International Child Psychology Conference last weekend. We do big events um, where we teach uh, corporate clients, we teach individuals, community groups um, to learn how to be body image resilient and all the strategies to get there. So that's our work in the future. We are thinking about doing kind of a daily workbook companion to more than a body. I don't know when we're going to find the time, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we're doing for now. Oh, I love that. And, and, and the website, can we follow you on, on the website? And, uh, and, and what is the website? Yeah, morethanabody.org. That will get you to everything. Um, we have an online course. Um, and honestly, social media has been a way that we have gotten a ton of good information out there for free. So please follow us on um, Instagram for sure. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. All Listen, all the info. This is so empowering. I mean, for me, fundamental to the re-educating or even remembering of our own power. And uh, all, all it takes is just seeing, as you say, the body as an instrument, instrument, not ornament. We're changing, we're, we're crashing, we're putting down this or ornament paradigm. We're putting the ornament on the floor, we're stepping on it and there's little pieces everywhere. We're going back to instrumental days. Yes, right? love it. <laughs> it's, it's instrumental that we get back to the instrumental days. So, hey, listen, Thank you so much. I feel I feel empowered, man. I feel like climbing up the stairs up Maybelline and arguing with yes. the whole board right now. <laughs> I appreciate you so much. And uh, and everyone, go check out the Instagram. Go check out the website. Go get the book. Yes. Give it to your daughter ASAP. Give it to your son ASAP. Let's get this movement going. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you.